I am the truth. I am the life. There's no other way. No man comes to the Father but my be. The Pharisees are saying, who are you to say these things? Prove it. Jesus said, I will prove it. There's going to be a sign, and that sign is going to be this. I'm going to be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. But I will rise just like Jonah did. When asked to provide a sign that would validate his authority, Christ told his critics that they would see no sign other than the sign of Jonah. In this third sermon from the series Jonah, Pastor Joplin opens up the scriptures to demonstrate seven signs that point to Christ found in the story of Jonah. With today's word from the well, here is Pastor Joplin Emerson. When Jesus was asked to provide a sign, what was going on was the Pharisees were being really um, uh, looking for ways to accuse Jesus. And the um, progression of Jesus' ministry as it continued to grow, so too did the fight between him and the religious leaders of the day. And in Matthew chapter 12, this fight has kind of grown to this place where they are nervous enough, the religious leaders are nervous enough about the influence that Jesus is having on the people that they now begin trying to undermine him, undermine his character, undermine his credibility, undermine his teachings. And so they begin to question his authority. On what authority do you do these things? Who are you to say these things to us? Who are you to be teaching the masses? After all, we have spent our whole lives studying the scripture and we have been trained for this very thing that you just show up and start doing at the age of 30. And and so they say to him, show us a sign. Give us some proof. And Jesus says a wicked and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. They were not wicked and adulterous because they were seeking for a sign. Don't make a mistake of that. I've seen people say that anytime you're looking for you know, God to, to do something, uh, expecting God to do a miracle, that you're part of this wicked and adulterous generation. That's not true. The reason they were wicked and adulterous was because they rejected God, because they rejected his son, because they rejected the very Messiah who had come to save them. And Jesus is saying, of this generation, you will seek a sign, but you're not going to get one other than... The sign of Jonah. And in this sermon series on Jonah, we are going to devote this entire morning to the sign of Jonah. I want to note in the very uh, end of Jonah's prayer, verse 9, look at these words. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord to the Lord. Salvation is a work of God from the beginning to the end. There are three groups of people in this short couple of pages of Jonah that God saves. The sailors, Jonah, and the people of Nineveh. And in every instance, God himself awakens these people to even see they need saved. 
Jonah didn't think he needed saved. Jonah thought he was just fine with God. The people of Nineveh, which we haven't even got to yet, have no idea that they need to be turning from their sins and finding the Lord. These sailors before this great storm came upon them had no idea that they were at war or enemies, if you will, with this one true God that had the power to save them. And in all cases, God does two things. Number one, he awakens their spirit to the reality they need him. Then he saves them. It's an incredible thought that from the the, the very awakening to the fact we need God, to God saving us, salvation is a work of God. He alone is the one that does the work. From the beginning to the end. It's a fascinating thing about salvation. I'll never forget when I was awakened to the fact that God was real and that I was a sinner. And the very first thing that confused me was, God, why would you awaken me? I literally thought to myself, God, why not just let me die? Didn't make sense to me. All of a sudden, I was awakened to the fact that I was a terrible person. I was a sinner against a holy God, that I stood guilty before this perfect holy God. And then the question's like, but wait, why did you reveal this to me? Why would you care enough and love me enough to show me these things so that I could turn to you? And I was overwhelmed with this incredible truth that God loved me. We see this God that is perfect and just and must deal with the sinfulness of mankind while at the same time he seeks a way to deliver us from the very wrath that we deserve. It's incredible. Salvation is a work of God. This is what Jonah concluded. And this morning I want us to look at what I will call seven lessons of salvation from the sign of Jonah. When Jesus spoke of the sign of Jonah, I want you to see how many signs we have. And I stopped with seven. There were some more, but I only got one time to do this message and I got a second service here in a little bit. So, seven lessons of salvation from the sign of Jonah. Number one, and this is the most obvious of the lessons, Jesus even uh, unveils it for us when he speaks of it. That is that salvation comes through death and resurrection. This picture of Jonah going down into the belly of the whale and then back out three days later onto earth is a picture that salvation, the promise of God, this salvation which belongs to the Lord, it requires death and resurrection. Just as Jonah had to be in the belly of the whale, so did the Son of Man, so did Jesus Christ have to be in the earth for salvation to come to you and I. He had to die for us. He had to die that you and I might have life. In order for there to be salvation, somebody has to step in and pay for our evil doings. There must be an atonement for our sins. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That means all the sins that you've done, the things that you didn't think were too big of a deal, the white lies that you've told, the times you've been a little conniving, a little sneaky, little this, little that. You know, you've done a little bit of wrong because everybody does a little bit of wrong. God says, no, that's actually, you're, you're worthy of death now. 
the penalty for that thinking, that living, those actions, it's death. And so in order to satisfy the wrath of God, the penalty had to be paid. And the first thing that we see in this sign of Jonah is that in order for salvation to come, even to the sailors, it's interesting that for these sailors, so I'm going to talk about a little bit this morning, it's interesting that even their salvation, if you will, being saved from death, being saved from the storm, it required that Jonah go down into the belly of the whale for three days. And from all extensive points of view concerning the sailors, what was Jonah going to do? He was going to die. That was what was happening. And when they saw the big whale or huge fish swallow him up, what would you think happened to him? He's dead. And all of a sudden, the sea is calm. The storm is over. We see that the, the, the raging storm of sin that we find ourselves in is only calmed when we look to Jesus' death as God's solution to our sin problem. I want to address the question of, did Jonah die? It's an interesting question because Jesus basically alludes to the, um, you know, the, the sign of Jonah, and as Jonah did, so must the Son of Man do. And um, I've actually had, believe it or not, this, this will make you laugh, or cry, or one or the other. But I've had a person quit the church because I wouldn't take a stance on whether or not Jonah was dead or alive in the belly of the whale. Let me tell you why I don't take a stance on it. Because it doesn't tell us. Now, did Jonah die in the belly of the whale? I'm going to look at it from two perspectives. Number one is highly likely. I mean, God raised up a whole lot of people from the dead. Even in the Old Testament, right, we have the man being thrown on Elisha's bones coming back to life, right? And we've got uh, Elisha raising the widow's son. And then in the New Testament, you got Jesus raising three people back to life before he raises himself back to life. And so whether or not God kept Jonah alive in the whale or whether or not God brought Jonah back to life in the whale, for me, it's not a game changer. It's not the type of thing I'd quit a church over and go somewhere else. But here's the point, and, and you want to know why um, I believe the book of Jonah doesn't explicitly say Jonah died and came back to life. Let me tell you why I believe it doesn't tell us that. Not necessarily because he didn't die. Maybe he did. But I think that if it did tell us that specifically, you know, Jonah would be the only one that came back to life on his own power. It's not like he was thrown in and touched the dead man's bones of the great prophet Elisha. It's not like he had somebody praying to God on his behalf, you know, laying on, you know, praying and putting hands on him. And, and when we read the story of Jonah, one thing we know about Jonah, Jonah wasn't a very good prophet. If you were here for the week one, remember we, we discussed the question that of, of kind of the, the great themes of the book of Jonah, and that is, what is the great prophet? He's very successful from all accounts, 
But when you look at his heart, he's so far from God. And maybe if he did die and did come back to life in the belly of the whale, and that's specifically recorded for us, it could shine the wrong light on Jonah as if somehow he was some special super prophet. I feel like when God chooses to leave something a little vague for us, that the one who wrote the word and who is perfect in all his ways probably knew what he was doing and left it a little vague for us on purpose. And I'm okay if you believe that Jonah died in the belly of the whale, and I'm okay if you think he was alive all three days. Here's what we do know. We do know he prayed in the belly of the whale. That's what we know. Because we read his prayer recorded from us. And what does he say? While I was in the depths. And he uses all these words about, you know, that symbolize being in the bottom of the ocean. And he says, from there the Lord heard his cry and his prayer. I think about that prayer, and again, there are some things that it just doesn't tell us, but I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe he prayed this right away. Now, I know that he was a uh, stubborn man, but I don't think that he, he, he spent three days in the belly of the whale alive in that type of condition before he finally said, I'm going to pray. I just don't. He was a human being. And there's something about drowning. Man, there's something about being swallowed and being inside the mouth of a huge fish where all of a sudden you abandon your stupid pride and you cry out in anguish like we read him cry out in anguish. And so for me personally, again, the scriptures don't say, so I'm not making this super strong statement on it. It's just what Joplin Emerson believes. I think this prayer came pretty early. I think in that moment when it was like, it's done, I'm actually dying, and I'm about to meet my maker, it's time to go ahead and say a quick prayer and apologize to God. That's what I think. Could be wrong. Maybe he was in the belly of the whale three full days and still sticking in his heels. Maybe. That's just not what I believe. But here, and, and here's why that matters to me. He calls out in the most sincere prayer that he's probably prayed in a very long time, if not the most sincere prayer of his life, and in my opinion, early. And God just kind of lets him sit there three days. Now, it wasn't just because God was making him sit there three days. God, there was a much bigger thing going on here. This is the sign of the Son of Man, and God is teaching us about salvation, and God is teaching us that in order for salvation to come to Jonah, to the sailors, to the people of Nineveh, that there must be one man that is down under the earth for three days. It's this greater picture of something that's coming. Nonetheless, I put myself in Jonah's shoes, and there's still these three days of darkness. I have watched it happen in my own life at times when I have cried out to God in sincerity. I have meant business with God and I have needed God to do something. And there are times that it seems like God answers right away. And then there's times when, I mean, how dark is it in the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a whale? You can't even see your hand in front of your face. That's dark. That's dark enough to get in your mind. Sitting there wondering if God hear me or not. Can he hear me from down here? Will he hear me from down here? Jonah knew why he was there. His own stubborn wickedness, his own refusal to serve the Lord. 
and God heard him there. Did Jonah die? I don't know, maybe. For me, it's no greater of a miracle if God kept him alive, or if God, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter. Number two, second lesson of salvation, we see that salvation is a result of one man dying for all others. Think about that. From the sailor's point of view, their only hope in salvation was in Jonah's death, the one dying for the many. This is the next lesson we see that as we look to Calvary, there would be one man who would hang and bleed and die on the cross for all of us. Our hope of salvation, our hope of being rescued, our hope of the wrath of God being diverted from us. It came down to God pouring it out all on one man that we might have life. Jesus alone, brothers and sisters, is our hope of salvation. Number three, we see that salvation means that our life is found in his death. I want you to notice I'm talking about two different things. First of all, our death is found in his death. He's the one man who died for all of us. We should have died. And so when we look at what, how we should have died, what should have happened to us, when we look at the negative aspect of punishment and wrath, we see that there was one man who died for the many. It's amazing to me the incredible rich symbolism in the book of Jonah and how God takes these things to try to show us his son. But at the moment that he is thrown into the ocean, at that moment, the Bible tells us that the sea grew calm, that the storm ceased. And so now these sailors, not only do they not die, but they have life. This is the incredible thing about God. It's really mind-blowing if God will give you a heart and a spirit to see it this morning. He doesn't just save us from the wrath we deserve. He doesn't just pay the penalty so that we don't have to spend forever in hell and then let us go our merry way. Instead, in addition to rescuing us from death, in addition to Christ dying, the one man dying for the many, in addition to that, God gives us life. And there is no real life outside of Christ. It's a spiritual truth that has to be experienced. One of the most fascinating things to me, and it was also horrifying to me simultaneously when I got saved, was the realization that for 20 years of my life, I didn't believe that God was real. And he was. That for 20 years of my life, I thought I had been living, but I hadn't. I was dead in my transgressions. My spirit was dead to the things of God. My knowledge of the truth was so minimal. I didn't even know God was real. 
and all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I had life, eternal life, the life of God living in me. This is the, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible teaches us in John chapter 1 that that, that he is the life and the light of men. He is the source of life. He doesn't just die for us that we don't have to die, but our life is found in his death. Brothers and sisters, our life is found in Christ alone. Oh, that God would help us to quit looking everywhere else, looking to the left, looking to the right, looking to things, looking to possessions, looking to relationships, looking to success, looking to anything other than Christ to find life. Because He is life. He is the source of life. He is the giver of life. And our life is found only in Him. Number four, salvation simultaneously satisfies the wrath of God. It's amazing, like this is the great side of salvation that God gives us life, that there's another chance. Like just when you thought it was too late, just when you thought it was over, there's a new chance. God gives life. God forgives. God saves And simultaneously, the wrath of God is satisfied. As they take Jonah, they throw him into his death. The one man dying for the many. Simultaneously, God gives life and his wrath is satisfied. All in the same event. The cross has been called the the greatest double negative in all of history. Because on one hand, it's the greatest gift, right? On the other hand, it's the outpoured wrath of God simultaneously happening at the exact same moment in time. As Jesus cries out, it is finished. As the wrath of God is poured out on him, simultaneously, the veil is being torn and the world is being invited in to meet God. It's an incredible truth. Salvation brings both. It satisfies the wrath of God and it gives us new life. And Jonah is a picture of Christ doing that for us. Simultaneously, the veil's been torn. We sang about that this morning. They had no idea I was going to reference that. The veil has been torn. When I, earlier, I talked about my heart for spiritual growth. And one of the things that we miss so much when we stay children you know a child never really learns to do much on their own children are just happy right they don't have to they don't have to work they just get fed parents give them the stuff they need 
When they're hungry, they eat. When they need toys, they get toys. They've got a roof over their head. And they didn't even really think about how any of it works. And in a lot of ways, it's fun to be a child, at least in a home with good parents that take care of you. It's fun. But at some point in time, we have to grow up and learn how to become part of the family business. At some point in time, we've got to decide, I don't want to spend my entire life just being fed food when I want food and just being pandered to when I need pandered to. No, when I've got a house you know, uh, sheltered from the storm and God's going to take care of me. Brothers and sisters, this is about as far, though, as most of our brothers and sisters ever want to go. We just want to be children that God just takes care of the rest of our lives. And yet God is calling us further. God is calling us deeper. God is calling us to more. And this salvation was about a whole lot more than God just saving us from wrath. It was about a whole lot more than God putting up bumpers in the road so that we don't run out and get ran over by our sin. No, God said, I'm, tailing the, I'm tearing the veil open so that you can know me, so that you can approach me, so that you and I, brothers and sisters, can become the mature sons and daughters of God. And when I look at all that Christ died for, this has been my great burden when I look at what Christ died for, when I look at what salvation brings, my heart is burdened when I see God's children not taking a hold of all of it. Satisfied with just not going to hell. So it's, a, it's such a childish mindset. And it burdens me because when I look at what Christ died for, it was for a whole lot more than that. He died, brothers and sisters, that you and I might have spiritual life. Number five, notice that salvation is for those that are guilty of the Savior's death. There's this interesting picture where who's going to be saved in this story immediately? The sailors are. That, that's the deal. You throw Jonah in the water, you let Jonah die, and you're going to be saved. And remember I talked about it last week, how Jonah was a coward? Why not just jump off the ship yourself, man? Remember I said that last week? I'm going to tell you one of the reasons he didn't, because God had his divine hand on the whole thing. And God was giving us a very picture of Jesus dying for you and I, guilty of his death. You and I, the ones whom Christ died for, we are implicated in his death. Yeah, you might not have grabbed his feet and thrown him into the ocean. Yeah, you might not have been there with the one actually driving the nail through his hand, but make no mistake about it, it was done because of you. We are implicated in his death, and yet his death is for the guilty. Number six, Number six and number seven, probably two of the most important points. Number, one, uh, number six, salvation rescues us from the depths of our own sin. Amen. You know, this is what was confusing to Jonah 
Um, this is what was confusing to the Pharisees and the people of Jesus' day, and I find it confusing to um, the American Christian anyways in our day. We think that God come to save us from all of our enemies. That's why it didn't really make sense that God would want to save Nineveh. Like, they're wicked, evil people. And God, you're supposed to save us from these wicked, evil people. And when Jesus came, and it becomes pretty clear that he identifies himself as the Messiah, the people say, no, he's not the Messiah. The Messiah is going to come and destroy all of our enemies. Not understanding the real enemy of your soul is your sin. <laughs> That's the enemy. And that is the enemy that God came to rescue us from. It's the enemy we need rescued from today, brothers and sisters. I won't say another word about politics. I spent years saying nothing. But I will tell you this, the real enemy of the church, the real enemy that you face, it's not anybody else, it's not any other group of people, it's not any other nation, it's not people in this nation that you disagree with. The real enemy that we face is sin. And God sent His Son not to be some, you know, uh, so, so, some great tyrant that creates the greatest nation on earth. He came to save us from sin. And notice He saves us from the depths of sin. This is why Jonah had to go down so far, because God had to show Jonah this lesson. Jonah, you're no different than the people of Nineveh. You are a sinner just like they are. And though your sin has taken you to the worst place of your life, though your sin is taking you to the darkest place of your life, a place you never thought you could be, a place so far away from where you're supposed to be, you never could have even dreamed you would end up here, Jonah. But in that place, in the belly of the whale, there God heard your cry. And we see that salvation rescues us from the depth of our own sin. You need to hear that this morning. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. It does not matter how far you have gone. It doesn't matter how deep of a hole you have found yourself in. There is a God that is capable of rescuing you from the depths of your sin. And finally, number seven. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Yes, it does. Salvation is offered to the whole world. Everyone. Everywhere. This is the sign of, of Jonah. You know who gets saved in the book of Jonah? Jonah. Isn't that interesting? He needed saved. The righteous prophet representative of Israel. The holy guy. He needed saved. You know who else needed saved? The sailors. You know who else needed saved? The people of Nineveh. Turns out there's nobody in the whole story that doesn't need saved. They all need saved. And that is the lesson that ultimately what would happen to Jonah, representing ultimately what would happen to Jesus, it was to bring salvation to all who would believe. 
Everybody needs to be saved. God is willing to rescue all people of every nation. The salvation of God has been extended to the sailors. It's been extended to Jonah. It has been extended to Nineveh. It reminds me of Jesus as he hung there and it was written above him. This is the king of the Jews and it was written in every major language of the day. Representing all the people of the world. Chris, as you guys come and begin to prepare a song of invitation. Jonah's experience gave his voice divine power. I'll speak about that more in the weeks to come when we look at his message to Nineveh, when we look at Nineveh listening to some prophet that walked in the middle of town. Why did they listen to Jonah? Ultimately, because he'd been spit up out of a great whale. That's why. His experience gave his voice divine power to those who heard him preach. So too does the death and resurrection of Christ give his voice divine power over every voice, every spiritual authority, every religious person that has ever come before him or will ever come after. He rose from the dead. Jesus said when when asked, how do you know that I have authority? What gives me the right to claim to be the Son of God? What gives me the right to claim that I am the way? I am the truth. I am the life. There's no other way. No man comes to the Father but my be. The Pharisees are saying, who are you to say these things? Prove it. Jesus said, I will prove it. There's going to be a sign, and that sign is going to be this. I'm going to be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, but I will rise just like Jonah did. This is the thing that gives this word that gives the Son of God supreme divine power and authority over all others. It's mind-blowing to me. What a poor job the church has done teaching this simple truth. A lot of times our young people are like, well, how do you know that Christianity is true versus this or versus that? Well, let's just take a walk to Muhammad's tomb and see the dead man's bones. How are you going to put him on the same category? I can go all day long on why you shouldn't believe in Muhammad. But the fact is he, like all other religious leaders, you name them, even the, the, the nice ones that taught nice, good things that really they're decent ways to live. Nothing wrong with what they said. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you a sign that will prove that my words and my authority are above all others. And that is, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. And he did exactly what he told us he would do. And just as this miracle of Jonah being spit back on the earth gave his words divine authority, brothers and sisters, we have divine authority. We can trust what Jesus said when he said, I am the way. I'm not one of many, I'm the, there's only one, T-H-E, the way. I'm the truth. You wanna know what the truth is? Study what he says. He said, I'm the life. 
Through his death and resurrection, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Through the death and resurrection of Christ, we have the one man dying for the many. We have not only our death found in his death, but we have life found in his death. We have the wrath of God satisfied. We can stand justified before God. We have our rescue from our sins. And we have reason to rest in his word above all others. No wonder he said, I'll give you the sign of Jonah.